0: what's going on everybody welcome back to the passing po- uh, passing downs podcast i'm your host rahul and i'm here with my co-host pd say what's up what's up all right so we'll be getting into our week 10 pod where we're gonna review the week 10 quarterbacks we thought were the most important of the week and then give a little bit of a preview into the next week and with that being said we'll get right into it with pd's first quarterback go ahead
1: Yeah, so we'll start this one off with uh, Tom Brady. So the Bucs' offense to this point has been historically awful running the football. And I think that this week they finally were able to get something going on the ground. And so defenses, or the defense of the Seahawks, actually had to respect the ground game. And so it wasn't a one-dimensional attack. And you saw Tom Brady kind of thrive in that uh, kind of setting. So we start off the game with a nice throw to Mike Evans. Uh, in a tight window, a little bit behind him, but a good throw nonetheless outside the number to the left. Uh, and then we continue uh, into the second quarter after a few short completions. Um, Brady does have a mistake where off play action, he kind of tries to rip the ball um, down down the middle, but um, he doesn't see a linebacker there, and that results in an interceptable pass. Uh, but he isn't punished for it, and that will end up coming back to bite him later. Uh, We continue through the second quarter where Brady makes a couple good passes uh, leading to a touchdown drive to uh, Chris Godwin and Scotty Miller. The Scotty Miller one, um, you probably have seen the the play by now, but he kind of jumps to catch it and that prevents Brady from getting a touchdown added to his stats. Um, And then we continue into the third quarter uh, where Brady makes a nice tight window throw to Godwin uh, towards the end of the quarter or towards the middle of the quarter. Uh, outside the numbers to the left. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter, uh, he throws his best pass of the day. Uh, to Cade Otten right down the seam uh, after going through a few progressions. So, uh, oh, and and then also we have the interception, of course, which he kind of aggressively pushed the ball down the field without looking for the linebacker. So um, a number of explosive plays for Brady, and I think he still played well despite putting the ball in harm's way twice. Um, and so that kind of speaks to what Brady can do when when there's something like some sort of help for him on offense and we discussed this last week or last episode on on the pro Bowl episode um, where we thought Brady could improve and I think there's there's a chance that this is the spark for improvement for him
0: yeah and moving on to his opponent in that matchup Gino Smith who this game being in Germany he did continue his success from back in America boasting stats like going 22 for a uh, 23 for 33 for 275 yards and two touchdowns and the game footage does back it up he started off a little poorly where uh, on a third and 10 he had plenty of time but kind of chose not to maneuver in the pocket and, or even like get out of the pocket to extend the play and takes a bad sack which just seemed a little bit too easy for the defense which killed the drive uh, later on in the middle of the first though he had one of the most impressive throws of the day in my opinion where he just releases the ball immediately uh, upon catching the snap and just flicks it out there with the rusher in his face and finds DK in stride on a dig route for like 20 yards and it leads to a big gain. Uh, he follows that in the following drive with a few minutes left in the second and uh, after couple of poor incompletions, they quickly have to punt again. But on the third and two in that drive, Gino has to make a better decision in my opinion. He like rolled right and seemingly had plenty of space to run for the yards that they needed to gain, but he chooses to wait a bit too long for receiver to get open and then he just allows the rusher to get to him and forces a bad throw and an incompletion. Uh his follows that with another drive that wasn't for a while. He gets it again late in the second quarter. He has an impressive throw where he steps up in the pocket, and despite bad blocking, he throws a laser to Metcalf on the move for a first down. But uh, the Seahawks do soon have to punt again uh, because on a third and ten, I felt like Gino had people open on the right side of the field if he just went through his progressions. But I think he tried to force it to DK, who was still kind of covered on his out route, and he just misses, and it leads to that punt. Uh, he gets the ball back again, just under the two-minute warning, and on the very first play of that drive, he's sacked in a play I just didn't think he needed to be. Uh, and just overall, nothing came of that drive, and just a very weird half for Gino overall. Uh, the Bucks dominated the time of possession, so Gino didn't really get to kind of get things going for himself but I do think he didn't make enough plays in this half and the offense kind of stalled. However, the second half was a completely different story because to start the second half, he finds uh, Disley twice and DK on a couple of like simple stop routes, which result in first downs. And it was kind of just getting back to Gino's game, which is a lot of just you know finding the open guy underneath and getting it to them. Uh they, uh, yeah. And then they get uh, downfield like this. But on a third and nine, he tries to be a bit too aggressive, in my opinion, on that drive and throws it like 25 yards downfield to DK on a 50 50 ball. Uh, I see what he's trying to do because they were down 14 at the time, but I don't think it's enough of uh, a deficit to make such an irresponsible throw, in my opinion. And it leads to a field goal. Uh, he gets the ball back again in the middle of the third quarter. And after a couple more of those quick stop route type of throws I was talking about earlier, he finds Metcalf deep on a crossing route off a play action, and he just puts it in the perfect spot along the sideline for only DK to have a chance at the ball. And the drive ends on probably one of the uh, Gino's worst plays of the season. Uh, on a second and goal on what seems to be a called quarterback draw, Gino just does a terrible job of reading his blockers and is slow off the snap. And it looks kind of like he gets stuck trying to find a lane in between his offensive linemen. And then he makes the mistake of like going east and west instead of just north up the field. And is he's met by a linebacker a couple of yards behind the line of scrimmage and ends up fumbling it and hands pretty much hands it straight to a Bucks defensive line. In. Uh definitely not one of his best moments there. Uh, But he gets the ball back again early in the fourth down 18 at this point and the Seahawks get down the field pretty quick off a screen to Kenneth Walker which just burst for a big play and he ends this drive with one of his best plays of the day in my opinion Uh, from like the Bucks 21 he uh, scans the field and doesn't seem to have any of his first few reads but even with pressure in his face, he moves up in the pocket and while uh, on the run, delivers a strike to the end zone over the middle to Lockett for a touchdown. Uh, it's a pretty accurate throw and puts it only where Lockett can go up and get it, really. Uh, after the Seahawks' defense gets the interception, Gino gets the ball in like good field position in the middle of the fourth. And on a fourth and four with pressure in his face and seemingly the game on the line, he finds Tyler Lockett on a throw that has elite anticipation because Lockett wasn't even turned yet and just puts it on the money. He also has one of his best throws of the day uh on the touchdown pass that uh that didn't count because Fant could get his feet in bounds uh on the side of the end zone. But uh Gino follows this up anyways with another incredibly accurate throw while rolling left to the corner of the end zone. He finds Marquise Goodwin again with absolutely incredible in- anticipation and just puts it in the perfect spot in the corner of the end zone. Uh, I think some of his best throws of that whole season, uh, with that fan throw, the locket throw, and that good win throw I just talked about for the touchdown, those are some of his best throws of the season, in my opinion. But overall, for this one, Gino's second half was incredible to me, but he started off a bit too slow. Uh, he gave the ball back to the other team a bit too quickly, in my opinion, with all the quick three and outs early in the game and allowed the Bucks to just dominate time of possession. Uh, if he wants to continue to ascend to, like, that elite Mahomes-Allen tier, which in the last episode we talked about, we think he's just a step below. I think he's got to do a better job of, like, managing these games by taking up more clock and not having so many just quick three and outs when he doesn't have things going. Uh, and he just needs to be slightly more consistent. Any thoughts on Gino PD?
1: Yeah, no. Nah, um, Pro Bowl-level quarterback, um, that, as we talked about, uh, but he's just a step short, like you said, of the the MVP, like the solid MVP tier, and uh, some improvements with taking sacks and getting rid of the ball would help him get there.
0: Yep, 100%. And moving on from that game to another quarterback who I felt was, has been improving this year as of late, Is Trevor Lawrence and after a bit of a downturn from his early in in the year rise we saw from his rookie year uh, it seems like Lawrence is starting to find himself again and in this one he went 29 for 40 with about 260 yards and two touchdowns on no interceptions and the game tape backs it up too Uh, he gets the ball early in the first quarter and makes an incredible throw finding uh, Christian Kirk deep for 30 yards in tight coverage. And he hits Kirk right in the chest on this, but uh, Kirk just straight up drops it. And then later the drive gets killed by a ball batted at the line. Uh, And yeah, he follows that up with getting, he gets the ball back again in the middle of the first quarter. And he finds Kirk with a pretty similar play to the last one where Kirk drops it. But this time, Kirk's holds on, and uh, it was about a 25 to 30-yard gain. Uh, But the drive gets killed by a very weird play call, in my opinion, for the Jags. They try, like, a QB power on a third and two, uh, which Lawrence just clearly doesn't have the speed for. Uh, I wasn't sure what the Jags offensive coordinator was thinking there, because Lawrence just clearly did not look in his element trying to run a QB power, especially at his size. Uh. But he gets the ball back late in the first quarter, and he takes back-to-back sacks, In my, and it was due to pretty shitty blocking, in my opinion, and that just kills the drive. Uh, something the Jags definitely need to continue working upon is protecting Lawrence, because uh, watching the film, that was a pretty common theme against a team that doesn't necessarily boast a great defensive line. They're about average, I'd say in the Chiefs' defensive line, and they were pretty dominant this one against that Jags' offensive line. Uh, But the next drive happens early in the second quarter, uh, where the Jags get a huge gain off an ETN screen, but a bad sack from Lawrence and a drop from Hasty on third down kills a drive in deep Chiefs' territory, and that leads to no points. Uh, He gets the ball back again with about nine minutes left in the second, and on a third and eight, he absolutely sails a pass, though he seemingly has Agnew open. And just these small inconsistencies is something he definitely has to work on, because um, if he does make that throw, that's this game might be a whole lot different. Uh, he gets the ball back again in the middle of the second and has a really impressive throw, where he finds Marvin Jones streaking down the sideline for about 40 yards. And Marvin Jones had, like, very little separation from his DB, but Lawrence just places the ball perfectly. Uh, He follows that up with a big 20-yard scramble and a touchdown pass on an out route to Kirk just as the half was ending. And this play was really impressive to me because if you watch the film, T-Law clearly, like, notices that the Chiefs are sending an all-out blitz on that play. And he checks the play to, like, a man-beater where he knows he'd have Kirk open quick. And that's exactly what happens. He gets the snap and just immediately releases and gets it to Kirk. And that was just a very high IQ play from him. And something, you know, you hear a lot about Lawrence is that his knowledge of the game is very high. And this was one play where he really showed it. Uh, He gets the ball back early in the third and has a massive play where on a fourth and two, he finds Zay Jones in a tight window slant throw for first. And it was just a perfect throw and not only was it perfect it was very ballsy for that situation cuz it was very tight window fort down uh in not necessarily a area of the field where everyone may go for fort down so he needed to be on the money and he put it on the money and throws like this make it seem like to me at least that Trevor Lawrence's confidence is going up for sure uh he almost caps this drive with a touchdown cuz he finds an open Evan Ingram in the end zone On a touchdown pass, but an illegal man downfield flag brings that back. And eventually that drive gets killed because T-Law takes the bad sack on third and goal. And he just doesn't seem to shuffle his feet in the pocket for whatever reason. We've talked about it previously, but me and PD don't don't love Lawrence's uh, footwork. And he showed it here where he just didn't seem to try to move around in the pocket where he did have a clean pocket. And that leads to a field goal. Uh, He gets the ball back again in the late third, early fourth period, uh, where he has one of his best throws of the day, in my opinion, where he finds Zay Jones streaking down the sideline, and Jones just drops it, and that kills their drive. Uh, He gets it back in the middle of the fourth, uh, where he finds an open Zay Jones again on a fourth and three, and he caps the drive with a 20-yard touchdown pass to Kirk. Uh, where he leads Christian Kirk perfectly upfield and places the ball right in the right spot for Kirk to catch it in stride. And that caps the day for Trevor Lawrence. And overall, I thought he played great this game, uh, at least for him. His confidence seems up, and he seemed like he's settling in as an NFL quarterback. Uh, I feel like he's found his identity as a passer as well, which in my opinion is a lot of just short intermediate throws where he dissects the defense, finds the open guy, gives them the opportunity for a yak, and then occasionally he'll take a shot deep. But he's definitely not one of those quarterbacks who loves going downfield consistently. And I think the Jags have built a good offense and a good personnel around him for that. However, I do think they can improve in that aspect. Uh, the Jags can in getting more help around him because I think he can be absolutely lethal if he does have at least a wide receiver two or wide receiver three or a legit wide receiver two and wide receiver three. Cause right now it's really only Christian Kirk who's getting separation and getting open. I feel like T-Law could use a bit more help there, but yeah, any thoughts? GD? Uh,
1: yeah, I'm encouraged by Lawrence's development, um, over the past couple of weeks. I think it's actual development. I don't think it's just a hot streak because he seems to have, uh, you know, recaptured like the confidence, like you said, um and so mm-hmm. that's pretty important going forward. I would say. Um, speaking of confidence, yeah, go ahead.
0: Uh, I say a hundred percent. I agree. His confidence okay. is definitely key.
1: Okay. Speaking of confidence, uh, a quarterback who's playing with maybe the most confidence in the league right now, and that's Tua Tonga So in this game against the Browns, my gosh, he was he was on fire. Um, there's seven passes in this game where they're not going to make what I would call the end-of-season highlight reel, I guess. But all of them were highly impactful throws where, in my grading, I would give them a grade of plus one point or more. And That just means like they're deep down the field, past the first down marker, but they're not explosive plays, like 20-plus yards. And he had seven of those plays in this game, and that should kind of go to show how highly... How highly efficient the Dolphins' offense is right now, and how well he's executing it. Um, and then the three-point passes I wanted to point out that are really high-level throws were all in the all in the second quarter where he was absolutely incredible. So we have the first one early in the uh, second quarter where he's it's about twenty yards down the field, and he just rips a tight window uh, pass down the middle to Jalen Waddle, and it's it's maybe like a step behind him, I guess, but. Waddle was able to turn upfield and this is a great example of Tua's accuracy and anticipation coming into effect. Um, and then we we go ahead in the in the quarter and then this is probably my favorite throw of the day. Uh, with about five and a half minutes left in the second quarter off of a play action, um, there's a loss at the right tackles or on the right side of the line. Um, and Tua kind of just flicks the ball out there without really stepping into it. And at first, it looks like he's just kind of throwing it away or throwing up a prayer. But when you go back and watch that game, uh, watch the game uh, from the all 22 angle, it, it's actually such a special throw because he's throwing it like four or five seconds before Tyreek Hill catches the ball, um, maybe a couple full seconds before he's out of his break. Um, Tyreek Hill is running like this deep out route and he's around the 42 yard line. He goes all the way up to the 35 yard line then comes back to the ball at around the 38-yard line. So Jua basically throws the ball maybe 11 yards before he gets gets the ball, and that's not even counting the turn that he makes. So that throw is amazing. And then we end off the quarter with an excellent throw uh, to the back of the end zone to Trent Shurfield in the tight window on the left side uh, on kind of a go-route type thing, if I remember correctly. And he just puts it on the money, gives Trent Shurfield a chance to come down inbounds and and um, doesn't let the defender make a play on the ball. So another great game for Tua. Um, looking forward to seeing him continue this in the coming weeks because I really think that he can push for the MVP if he keeps this level of play up.
0: Yeah, 100%. Tua, ever since he's come back from injury, Tua's looked absolutely incredible. And if he keeps this up, I think the Dolphins are going to be very lethal. And he definitely doesn't seem any, seem to show any signs of slowing down. So props to him for sure. And as you're talking about the MVP uh and potential MVPs, another person who's up there in uh p- being potentially MVP right now is Josh Allen who I'll move on to next. And before I start on Allen, uh I got to acknowledge that this game between the Vikings and Bills was absolutely incredible. One of the games of the year and if I was missed this one, I'd be absolutely mad because this this game was probably contender for game of the year, and Allen's stats for this one look a bit up and down. He was twenty nine for 33, oh, 43, sorry, with three hundred and thirty yards and a touchdown. But he does have two picks. However, I don't think his game was necessarily as up and down as the stats may suggest. Uh, he does start with almost a tragic start where he almost throws a pick right away on his very first throw to a Vikings defender. uh, he He's kind of lucky, throws the ball so hard that the ball was dropped, but he almost starts off terrible. However, the next drive, he gets the ball in the middle of the first, and the Bills quickly get inside the Vikings 5 off a huge return and a big run from Devin Singletary, uh, who ends up running it in for a touchdown. Nothing really from Allen here, but just showing how explosive that Bills overall team is I guess but the next he gets the ball again middle of the first and Allen makes an incredible throw finding Gabe Gabe Davis open for a big 25 to 30 yard gain and then also while rolling right he does find another open digs for another 20 yards back-to-back good throws from him there and then he follows that with an incredible third and 11 run where he makes an extra effort and pushes forward for like three yards even though he's kind of wrapped up by two defenders about nine ten yards in and just pushes forward, even though he was swallowed up already. Uh, he follows that with another drive early in the second, where the Bills get the ball inside the Vikings 30 due to a big uh, interception return. And all, Allen almost has another disaster, even though this time it wasn't really his fault but the ball gets tipped at the line and tipped again in almost another pick, and that causes the drive to end in end in a field goal. Uh, he gets the ball back again around the middle of the second quarter, and he makes a very good play deep in his own territory where he f- gets away from two defensive linemen, rolls right, and finds Isaiah McKenzie for a first on third and two. This wasn't an uh, explosive play or anything, but... Given where the Bills were in their own territory and at this point in the game, they were kind of losing the field position battle. It was definitely huge in getting that first and getting them downfield. Uh, after another catch from Knox and a good uh, Allen run, Devon Singletary does end up fumbling and killing that drive. Uh, Allen does get the ball back again, though, with about little under two minutes left in the half. And... He gets away from what seems to be like two sacks and just has a sudden burst of speed and just runs upfield for like 30 yards in one of the fastest I've ever seen Josh Allen. It was almost like he got a speed boost running out of the pocket there. And he follows that with a completion to Diggs and then Davis for another 15 yards each. And he caps it on one of his best throws of the day, in my opinion, to Gabe Davis, where he finds him in the front corner of the end zone and places the ball in the perfect spot where really only Gabe Davis could have got it. He made like uh, what should have been a 50-50 ball, like a 75-25 ball in favor of Davis. Uh, he The next relevant drive for him comes late in the third quarter where he finds uh, Dawson Knox open and gives him a good opportunity for uh, yak yards. And Knox picks up like 30 but the Bills end up getting stuffed on a third and two and just pick up another field goal. Uh, Allen gets the ball back again late in the third, like or early in the fourth, and on a third and 15, he has another incredible play where he rolls right and just throws a dart to Diggs for a first, but uh, the most notable part of that play was that the play, throw was a bit high and Diggs kind of just goes up and makes an incredible one-handed catch. I'm pretty sure all of you guys have seen at this point the one of the best catches of the ever that happened this game was Justin Jefferson's catch. But I think if that didn't happen, this Diggs catch would get talked about a lot more because his catch was also pretty incredible. And Allen does a very similar thing once again on the next set of downs where on a third and sixteen he like brushes off a sack, avoids another sack, uh runs, rolls right, and makes On the run, a perfect accuracy throw with amazing touch to Gabe Davis, where he just drops it in between three defenders in the area, and they get like a 30-yard gain. This was, in my opinion, one of his best throws of the day and probably one of his biggest highlight plays of the day as well. Uh, He ends this drive, though, with probably one of his worst plays of the day because on a fourth and two, I felt like he tried to do a bit too much and he was rolling right again, and he just throws a pick right to Patrick Peterson. And honestly, wasn't even sure who he was trying to go to here. And it's plays like these where me and PD were talking about in the last podcast with our Pro Bowl voting, which uh, puts Allen slightly below because he does have these inconsistencies where he'll make a play like this where it's just absolutely boneheaded. And we'll see another one later in the game, which I'll talk about. But Allen gets the ball back late in the fourth quarter with about 3:30 to go and a chance to kind of put the game away, and he makes an incredible throw to Diggs uh, down the sideline, but he just drops it, and that was a huge drop from Diggs, but great throw from Allen still, and that's something that won't go on the stat sheet. Uh, after a long Vikings drive, which was unsuccessful, and they kind of get stuffed at the inch yard line, the Bills get the ball back at the inch yard line, and Allen makes another I guess mistake you could say where he just fumbles the ball immediately uh they're trying to get away from the end zone and he just pretty much drops it and gives the Vikings defense a touchdown and gives them the lead however he does make up for it on the very next drive where he gets the ball back with only like 20 seconds left and he makes an incredible throw to Gabe Davis deep where he leads him towards the uh sideline too and gets him out of bounds and that puts them in field goal range already. And then another completion to Isaiah McKenzie puts them in very close range and that gets them the game-tying field goal. So, he does make up for that mistake. However, in overtime, he disaster does happen. He has a couple of incredible runs where he just trucks through some Vikings defenders, but in the red zone, he has a chance to potentially win the game. And he throws another pick right to Patrick Peterson, uh, where he was right in front of the attended receiver, who I believe was Diggs. It wasn't open at all, really. I wasn't really sure what Allen was trying to do here. And this becomes another instance where, game on the line, Allen makes a huge mistake. And I'm not really sure what he was doing there. But yeah, very incredible back and forth game. Any thoughts on Allen, PD? Yeah, I mean,
1: you touched on everything that I wanted to say. I mean, I still think that the narrative on Allen is just too far gone. Like, I mean, you talked about the play to Diggs where he dropped it. If that's completed, do we have a different story? I think we do. Like, Mm -hmm. um, so many explosive plays that he generates, I think it more than makes up for what he does. He's, He's playing average football right now, despite throwing, what, like six interceptable passes in the past couple of weeks. So, I mean, yeah, just a great player. Uh, I think he'll bounce back in the coming weeks. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. He is, as you said, one of the most explosive players in the league by far. But if he can get those mistakes down, he would be... He would definitely reach another tier. And I don't know if it's possible because it's kind of in the nature of his game, but it's it's definitely costing the Bills a lot. We've seen pretty much all of their losses, so... Definitely something he needs to cut down on. And moving on from that incredible game to another crazy close game, not necessarily as good of a game, but still a good one nonetheless between the Lions and the Bears. And I'm looking at probably the breakout star of that game with Justin Fields, who uh, really showed out in this one and was spectacular. It's probably the best way to describe it. Uh, He. Did, went 12 for 20, had uh, seven yards and two touchdowns passing. And he had another 147 yards rushing and two rushing touchdowns. He pretty much put up a running back stat line there. And that was incredibly impressive. And uh, if you guys play fantasy football, you guys have probably seen he's been an absolute fantasy demon. So uh, incredible, incredible rushing from him for sure. And the first drive, you get started off with that right off the bat where the Bears come out in a read option where Fields keeps the ball and blasts past his defenders on the edge and bursts downfield for like 30 yards. And he makes these runs against elite defenders and elite athletes look just too easy. Uh, He has another couple short runs on that drive that bring them to the end zone. And he does put the ball in harm's way on this drive. He rolls right and has his tight end in the flats but kind of just floats the ball way too much and the ball gets tipped and almost picked. And he does get away with one a little bit here but then the drive and a field goal because the ball gets dropped. He gets the ball back later in the first quarter where he does a great job of avoiding two rushers who got upfield with pretty much no blocking. And he steps up and finds his receiver over the middle for uh first down. And this was just... Uh, a showing of how amazing his pocket awareness is, because even though that Bears offensive line has been pretty shitty throughout the year, he's done a great job of just maneuvering, running around, and figuring out a way to avoid sacks. However, I've I've talked about this before, and this style of avoiding uh, sacks does have have its downsides, and we see it later in the drive where he tries to do a bit too much running around. I I think he abandoned the pocket a bit too early and he gets sacked and that ends up killing their drive here. Uh, he gets the ball back again early in the second where he takes another poor sack, trying to do a similar thing in very good field position. And that kills another drive where they could have scored with good field position. So definitely something fields can work on, but, uh, there isn't much comments to make on his elusiveness and pocket awareness because he has been amazing in that regard for sure. Uh, When he gets the ball again in the middle of the second quarter, he has one of his more impressive drives of the day. He has a couple of good runs, one where he takes a big hit. And one thing I just want to touch on is uh, Fields, if he does want to run this much, I feel like he's got to learn to slide more often because there are a couple of times where he's taking massive hits in this one. And as someone who's looking to be the franchise quarterback of the Bears now, Hits like that is just not something he can afford to take. And he's got a pretty much other, unless your name is Josh Allen, as a quarterback, you just don't take those hits. And that's something he's got to learn. Uh, He does have an incredible play where he spins off a defender, rolls left, and finds Pringle uh, for a first down on a third and five. Uh, He does a good job here of running around, but still remaining a passer and looking downfield for people. And I think that's something that's improved in his game overall. Just the ability to not only run, but while he is on the run behind the line of scrimmage, still looking for his guys. And I think earlier in his career, he wasn't necessarily doing that as much. Uh, he caps this drive with another absolutely insane play where he has three defensive linemen like right in front of him. But he finally somehow manages a way to like juke them out and finds a path to the end zone. Uh, where he just puts his head down and just pushes his way in. And, yeah, this is just another example of how amazing he was as a rusher. That drive and just that half as a whole. A uh, great first half for him, for sure. And when he gets the ball again in the second half, he uh, he has probably his best passing drive of the day, and he finds Mooney twice for big gains, and he caps that drive, rolling right and finding Komet in the end zone for a touchdown. And this drive, I really saw how, like, the Bears are, I think, planning to operate their offense. And I really like this because it seems to be a little bit new and modern where pretty much the whole offense thrives off of his strengths, which is rushing the ball. And then even when he passes the ball, the threat of him running is so high that defenders are just always worried about that. So when he rolls out or off a play action – that just something that freezes them and it allows guys like Comet to get open, which we'll see on this very next play. Cause in his very next drive, the bears have probably the biggest play of the day passing where I'm not sure what the lions defense was doing, but they leave Comet absolutely wide open with like 10 yards of space all around him. And fields just finds him for a 50 yard touchdown pass. And like I was just saying a second ago, I think that's a product of Fields, uh, them being afraid of Fields' rushing abilities because they're kind of just leaving guys wide open. The Lions' defense isn't the best, so it could just be that. But just overall, I'm liking the way the Bears are starting to play call here. And then Fields has another drive as the fourth quarter starts, and he probably makes one of my favorite throws of the day, where he's rolling left and just finds Komet going down the sideline. He puts it on the money despite like Komet having no separation and Komet just drops it, but that was that ball was definitely on the money and would have added like another 50 yards to his stat sheet, but unfortunate. Uh, with about 10 minutes left in the fourth, he probably has one of his worst plays of the day that puts the Lions back in the game. Uh, he's under pressure by two defensive linemen and kind of just throws it up and sails the ball to a Lions defensive back for a pick. It was just a super poor decision, and I understand he was under pressure, but this was a situation where he just needs to take the sack and punt the ball because he ends up throwing a pick six, which ties the game, and that's just not something the Bears can afford. And if he doesn't do that, I think they might have won this game because they lose that game by one point. Uh, After the pick six, when he gets the ball back, he does make up for it, though, with probably his most explosive play of the day where he just – Blast past the entire Lions defense pretty much for a 67-yard rushing touchdown. Uh, The read option with Fields is absolutely lethal right now. And that was probably the biggest example of it. Uh, He gets the ball back down one at the end of the fourth quarter with the opportunity to win the game. And he almost throws another pick trying to find Claypool down the sideline. And he just underthrew it. And Okuda just happens to drop it also takes a couple of bad sacks just trying to do too much running around and he does have one play where he makes like two absolutely insane broken tackles and gets brought down by the third guy and you guys have probably seen that play circulating around uh twitter or whatnot and as impressive as that play is I feel like that's the sort of thing I'm talking about where sometimes making those impressive plays trying to avoid Defenders just isn't the best way to do things because though it was impressive that those two uh, just broken tackles kind of messed up the entire timing of the play and just ruined any chance of them doing anything on that drive or on that play. And then eventually that whole drive and he's unable to lead a game winning drive here where they only needed really needed a field goal. And this does raise a bit reason for concern because the way the Bears are leading this offense, it's good most of the time, but when they are uh, low on time and need to make like a two-minute drill type of drive, I don't know if Fields is capable if he's doing what he's doing the rest of the game, which is just running and thriving off of that. But in a situation where he's forced to only pass and his rushing threat is, is not there at all, the Bears need to figure out a way to still capitalize on field strengths because I don't think he's a quarterback who's unable to beat you by the throw alone, but that's something that the Bears have not explored. And overall, I just love the Bears' new look offense and the way they're utilizing fields right now. And even though there are some reasons for concerns, like I said about the end of the game, potential injury risk, and uh, just overall just at times him not looking shaky as a passer because of how much he's running but I think overall there's a lot more positives than negatives in this new style of offense they're trying and I'm just interested to see how it looks moving forward
1: yeah agreed with what you said about um their offensive architecture it looks a lot better than it did at the beginning of the season uh speaking of looking a lot better than it did at the beginning of the season we have Aaron Rodgers um And in week 10 against the Cowboys, he was pretty good. Um, We start off the game with two incompletions to, uh, what is it, Christian Watson. Um, And he drops both of them. So that's that's a great way to start. Um, But as we move into the second quarter, um, after a couple of short completions, we do have a really poor play from Rodgers where uh, he has one hand of the ball um, throughout the whole play. And He gets sacked, fumbles the ball deep into the Packers' own territory on third down, and that gives the Cowboys a great chance to score um, and capitalize on that error. And he almost immediately makes up for it uh, a few minutes later by throwing an absolute dime deep down the field, 41 yards down the field to Christian Watson, uh, who breaks a tackle and scores. So quickly making up for a horrible mistake with an explosive play. Uh, As we move into the third quarter, uh, we have an amazing throw to Sammy Watkins on the outside where it's supposed to be like a back shoulder go, but Sammy Watkins doesn't really like adjust to the ball or get separation, and Rodgers just fits it in anyway with like a foot of space. So that's just the incredible tight window accuracy that we know and love from Aaron Rodgers. Um, and then we finish out the quarter with another great throw to Sammy Watkins in a tight window. Um, then we move to the fourth quarter. Um, and there is a great throw by Rodgers again to Christian Watson. He's open deep down the field on a f- critical fourth down, and he hits him in stride for a touchdown. Um, we move through the, through the end of the fourth quarter and into overtime. Um, and we're moving qu- pretty quickly here, um, I recognize, because the volume of plays that they run uh, wasn't very good um, for Rodgers. They ran... I think it was 20 pass attempts and like 26 dropbacks overall for the Packers. So not very many plays for Rogers to add value, but he was highly efficient in this game. And he finished up, like I said, with a bunch of short completions with the critical one being on an RPO where he hit Alan Lazard on a slant and he had a huge yard yard, yards after catch play uh, for 36 yards. And that put the Packers in scoring position to win the game. So um, a really strong game from Rogers where he bounced back uh, and then, to kind of look into what he did this week in week 11, um, it was it was a mixed bag. There were some incredible throws, and I think that Christian Watson's presence um, and the fact that he actually has like some deep speed and can win down the field, that's adding a new element to the Packers' offense. But I still think that Roger's decision-making is inconsistent, and he needs to learn to trust his guys more. There was a play to Alan Lazard where he was wide open on a corner route, and Rogers just kind of passed it up and took an intentional grounding instead. So... I thought that was a particularly bad play this week, and yeah, if Rodgers wants to continue to play at a high level, he needs to improve on things like that. Uh, Anything that you want to add before I move on?
0: Uh, Yeah, not a whole lot to add, because I agree with most of what you said about Rodgers. I think a big point of emphasis for sure, and you brought it up, is the emergence of Christian Watson. Because I think in recent memory, the Packers have relied a lot on like, the big play threat always being there. Because with Roger's arm and his ability to always make that deep pass, that has really opened up their offense throughout the years with him and Devontae Adams. And they didn't have that at all this year, and I felt like that made their offense a bit too like, limited or one-dimensional in some ways. So I think Christian Watson's like emergence of in recent memory of just being like a deep threat demon of sorts is it's just helping out a lot for sure.
1: Uh, yeah, agreed with what you said there. Uh, moving on to the final review of the week of this week for us, we have Jalen Hurts, and man, I was not impressed with Jalen Hurts first half. Um, there was a bunch of throws where it was kind of off target. Uh, forcing receivers to make adjustments that they really didn't need to. And the interception that he threw to Brown, I don't, I don't think it was a terrible decision, but he did underestimate the speed of Derek Forrest and his ability to turn and make a play on that ball. So kind of an error there. And then the second half, he was a little bit better, um, completing a number of short passes, but still having a little bit of accuracy issues. He did throw one nice pass to Quez Watkins on a critical third down and had a great, great throw. Uh, again to Quez Watkins deep down the field, but Quez Watkins fumbled that throw away and, you know, that kind of killed the drive there. So, um I oh, I also wanted to touch on the, the sack that he took late in the game and I thought that was kind of emblematic of what we were saying, you know, uh, during the Pro Bowl episode where his his ability to sense pressure in the pocket and react accordingly has been like improved from last year but in the last few weeks it's been on the decline and so that was an area that was a time when it showed up uh for everyone to see and I didn't think it was very pretty um and then we finished up the game with like a Hail Mary type attempt to to kind of give it well, one last shot so um not the greatest game for Hertz here I, st- I don't think he played poor but it was just kind of mediocre anything you want to add there
0: yeah I agree with Pretty much everything you said about hurt. This is hurts. Sorry, this was uh, definitely his poorest performance of the year, in my opinion. And a lot of the things we touched on in that last episode showed up a lot in this one, for sure. But more of an overall thing about the Eagles. I think a lot of people were thinking that the Eagles might be frauds, and we're kind of waiting for this opportunity to happen for them to lose lose that unbeaten uh streak and just to see what happens moving forward so I'm interested to see how they respond because these next few weeks seeing how they come back from a loss is going to be key I still think their schedule super easy so they shouldn't face too many challenges but I think this game kind of showed the blueprint on how to beat the Eagles and honestly it didn't take a whole lot from the commanders to do so anyways and I think when the Eagles face better competition, it's going to be interesting to see how they hold up for sure. But with that hurts review, I think that wraps up all our reviews for the week. And I think I say we jump straight into the previews of Week Eleven with Zach Wilson and PD.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this is not going to be much of a preview. I don't really have anything to say about Zach Wilson anymore. (laughs) I mean, like. Um, I saw a stat the other day where it said that Zach Wilson this year has a 1.5 QBR under pressure, which is like, th- that translates to how, how, what percentage of the time you would expect to win with that level of play. That's one and a half percent of the time. Oh, so that
0: is, that, that is like
1: historically bad under pressure. And so, I mean, the pressure the Patriots can generate pressure at like the third best, le- third best rate in the league. And so I would expect to see more of what Wilson struggled with, like running around, bailing from clean pockets, even when there isn't pressure, um, throwing passes into coverage. I mean, there's a lot of avenues for things to go wrong. The the way that I think that this um, can be fixed is for them to run like an RPO heavy offense, like they did against the Bills, where they just get the ball out of his hands as fast as possible. Just say, please, Zach, don't mess anything up. So, I mean, that's kind of the way that they have to play at this point. Uh, I'm not looking forward to watching much of Zach Wilson this week.
0: Yeah, but before we move on from Zach Wilson, one question I want to pose. Do you think there's still hope for him to turn things around realistically? Or do you think oh. it's over for Zach Wilson?
1: Realistically is uh, the key word there. I don't yeah, think it's, realistically. I mean, it's it's so low chance at this point. I would say, like one to two percent chance that he still lives up to the expectations that I personally set for him mm-hmm. coming out of the draft so yeah I don't, I don't think it's very likely at all yeah because um, if I
0: remember correctly you had Zach Wilson even over like Trevor Lawrence at the time of the draft you were very no, it's, uh,
1: yeah it was it was the same bucket but I don't think I have him I have them like one two points separate it's it is the same uh-huh. bucket but I don't think I have him first um, I see I see Yeah. Speaking of first, uh, first overall pick, Matthew Stafford. Um, (laughs) Matthew Stafford this week going up against the Saints, who have a bunch of pass rushers who can win against the decrepit Rams O-line. So I am not expecting anything good from Matthew Stafford this week either. Um, He's been under a ton of pressure, and as his mobility has declined, and he's not really ever been the fastest guy in the world, but this year it's really showing up uh, with the amount of pressure that he's facing. I would expect, like... A three plus sack game for the Saints, and I don't, and without Cooper Cup, I really don't think he has many options to throw to. So, very low expectations for Stafford this week. Um, wouldn't be surprised if this was an awful game for him.
0: Yeah, I would agree with pretty much everything you said. I've been pretty much the biggest promote, proponent of saying that Stafford has been a Cooper Cup merchant last year, and think especially this year. I think without Cooper Cup, I don't know what the Rams can do. Like, realistically, if they had, like, at least some decent weapons outside of Cooper Cup, maybe could have made something work. But I think that chemistry that Stafford and Cup have have been carrying them to this point and, like, all their success last year. And without that, it's not looking good for them at all. So I'd agree that this won't be a great performance, or probably not going to be a great performance from him. And moving on to another player who is coming off the heels of a pretty poor performance in Kirk Cousins, who, though he had a pretty good end to the game, I believe he did have a nearly a game win, or he did have a game-winning drive ultimately, and he did have a couple of drives in the fourth where he pretty much put the Vikings back in the game, But if you look at that game as a whole, the biggest reason they were in so much of a deficit and so early is because of Kirk Cousins. I think he struggled a lot against that Bills front. They got in his face, they sacked him, and they're forcing him into a lot of mistakes. His footwork looked all types of off that game, in my opinion, and his accuracy was a lot worse than... What we expect out of Kirk, who's normally pretty accurate. And this is coming off of a few weeks where I felt like he was starting to get his groove. But I think the competition, he's definitely a quarterback where the competition matters a lot in ultimately what we get out of him production wise. And looking at this week, I think he's facing a defense who's at honestly very similar to the Bills in both in terms of personnel and just how good they are overall. I think the Cowboys' defense has been absolutely incredible this year, probably one of the best in the league. And I think their pass rush is probably not as lethal as the Bills, but I think they'll get in uh, Kirk's face just as much as the Bills did. So if I had to predict what's going to happen in this one, I think think the Vikings will be better, I guess you could say, at least early in the game. Overall, maybe not because they – They were pretty explosive as a whole in the game because of how long it went. But I think the Cowboys will do the same thing where they get in Kirk's face, force a lot of mistakes out of him. And I'm just hoping he can limit it, but I don't think that'll happen necessarily.
1: Yeah, moving to the other side of the ball. So kind of following from what you said, I also do think that early in the game, the Vikings will have a great script and I would expect them to jump out to an early lead. And so that'll lead to Dak Prescott uh, having to do a lot more. And I think this is where um, uh, my, my thoughts will be tested on Dak because my, my theory on Dak is that um, when he's asked to do more within the Cowboys scheme specifically, um, I'm, I'm not sure if he's good enough to execute it all the time. And we've seen that with a bunch of games like down the stretch last year and the game against the Packers, there were some just minor deficiencies that ends up costing them the game. Uh, frequently so um, I think this game will be a good test uh, because the Vikings are a really strong offense and uh, I would expect them to put up some points early even if not late but um, as for what that means to Dak I mean can he turn this into a shootout that's kind of my question.
0: Yeah and given how good those two defenses have been both the Cowboys and Vikings defense I don't necessarily think that Dak can make that into a shootout but I think that'll be a good close game because both those teams are very good overall, very good teams as a whole. And I'm excited for that one. And another game that I'm excited for probably one of my favorite matchups of the year is chiefs at the chargers Sunday night football. And this will definitely be one of my personal favorites. Cause I love watching both Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert play. And I expect this one to be a good one. And Going into talking about Herbert first, I think the biggest key for him, and I've talked about this before, is throughout the year, he hasn't had the help he needs. But this game, I I think I got the alert like yesterday or something. This game, he's expected to have both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams back. And if they are both back and playing at a full capacity, uh, I definitely think that the, I guess so so to say, excuse of him being not having the help, it definitely goes down a lot more because obviously the team around him isn't necessarily the best, but with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, it's definitely a lot of a different dynamic than when he's got Josh Palmer as wide receiver one. So that's one big thing to pay attention to. Another thing is last week, that Chargers offense overall struggled a lot against a very good Niners team. And this Chiefs defense definitely is nowhere near as uh as good as the 49ers defense. So I don't think the Chargers will struggle as much at all. And they definitely need to not struggle because one thing I know for a fact is that the Chiefs are going to put up a lot of points in this one. So if the Chargers want to actually compete and make this the good game that it's projected to be, that I expect it to be, Uh, Herbert and the Chargers are going to have to score a lot of points and I expect them to be able to do it but I definitely have to see it to believe it because we haven't really seen Herbert with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen in together at all this season and we saw what they could do last year and they were obviously incredible and hopefully we'll get that moving forward and hopefully those two guys can stay healthy and continue to help him. And moving on to the other side with Patrick Mahomes, and there pretty much is no negatives to say about Patrick Mahomes from last week. He played another uh nearly flawless game to me against the Jaguars, where he just pretty much ripped apart that defense, and then they were up so much by the fourth that it wasn't really a it wasn't really a game at any point in that one. And I don't expect this one to be like that at all because not only is it a divisional matchup, so usually end up being close. It's prime time, and I do think that Chargers team is good. Definitely not as good as the Chiefs team, but I think they're good, and I think it'll be a good uh matchup. And what I expect out of Mahomes is, I definitely think he'll end up putting up a lot of points. The Chargers defense has disappointed quite a bit, quite a bit. Uh, without Joey Bosa really playing this year, I don't think that pass rush with just Khalil Mack and uh, nobody else as lethal really. There, I don't think it's gonna put up a whole lot of pressure on Mahomes, and I think the back half of that uh Chargers team is honestly probably worse. So I don't expect to really be able uh, them to really be able to keep up with guys like Kelsey, uh, uh Kadarius Tony, who's been absolutely incredible since the Chiefs got there, or since he's gotten to the Chiefs. I think another thing to pay attention to, I've uh, I believe Michael Hardman and another one of uh, the Chiefs receivers are out, so uh, Mahomes definitely won't have his every all of his guys, but I don't think that'll slow them down too much because that they don't really have a Tyree kill where it's like if Tyree kills out the receiver core is significantly worse. I feel like they have a bunch of guys who are all in like the relatively same tier and they'll just replace them. And I think this Chiefs off- offense should be able to operate as normal, but any, any thoughts on that game or those two as a whole PD?
1: No, I'm just kind of really excited for the shootout potential that this game has, especially as, uh, Williams and Keenan Allen are healthy. Um, and then moving on to our final matchup, which is Monday night football. Um, I'm going to talk about Kyler Murray. He's questionable for this game. Um, so if he does end up playing, I think that uh, this is a tough matchup with the, the scheme that the 49ers defense can employ. They've always been very good at kind of uh, pushing, the, pushing the interior and uh, keeping contain on the edge. And that's something that kind of uh, troubles Murray because he's very irritable in the pocket uh, as a result of not wanting to take the hits at his size. So um, he, it, the Niners are not a good matchup for him but I do think there's potential for him as always to make some spectacular throws down the field. Um, And then if he doesn't play, I guess Colt McCoy, expect to see some like short quick passes, um, uh, an offense that focuses on staying, staying in rhythm, Uh, probably more of like a mismatch for Kyler Murray than it is for Colt McCoy. But obviously Kyler Murray is the better player. So hopeful to see him out there.
0: Yeah. And a little thing I want to touch on with the Cardinals last year As a Niners fan, I did see us go up against Colt McCoy, and I'm not really sure what happened to us that game because obviously that Niners team was good. It went to the NFC Championship game, but we went up against Colt McCoy's Cardinals and got absolutely smoked out of the water, and James Conner just ran all over the field on us. Colt McCoy, he was just only throwing screens the entire game, and for whatever reason, they chose to not be able to stop it. So honestly, if it is Colt McCoy playing, I am slightly worried because, I don't know, for whatever reason, he has our number. But I'll talk about the other side with Jimmy Garoppolo against this Cardinals team. And honestly, as far as the Cardinals defense goes, I don't think they pose too much of a threat. I think this defense is probably one of the worst in the league. And there's, they really don't have anybody to keep up with the likes of Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. They they can't keep up with all the skill positions we have. So I feel like the 49ers offense will operate pretty comfortably. And I expect Jimmy G to hopefully just not make too many mistakes. Because that's really the only way the Cardinals can defense will be able to stop us. Is if Jimmy G just makes a bunch of boneheaded plays and I do expect one out of him in this game because you always got to expect one out of Jimmy Garoppolo but outside of that I feel like he'll be able to be the engine of this offense and kind of just let all of those guys I mentioned cook I feel like throughout this year he's been like he's been weird because he has he's definitely made a lot less mistakes than he's had in the past but he's also had way less explosive plays than he's had in the past and it's probably because of Debo Samuel just hasn't been as good as he has been in last year and he was creating a lot of those explosive plays for Jimmy and since he hasn't been doing it we don't have those explosive plays happening but I also think Jimmy's just Jimmy's just been an overall mid this year he hasn't been bad but and that's why this Forty ers team has been relatively successful but he definitely hasn't been like overly impressive either and i i expect it to be more of the same against the cardinals all right uh
1: so that'll wrap up our week 11 previews make sure to like leave a rating uh, subscribe on whatever platform you're on leave a comment yep, yep. saying that our, you enjoy our podcast uh that'll be all from me potty see your last words and then we're up
0: yeah i second that Everyone's support, please. And uh, there's a lot of good matchups coming up this week. So, yeah, I'm just excited for another good week of football. Yeah, we could